Good morning. Uh, I'm always excited to have the opportunity to share God's word with you. Uh, Pastor Joe came to me a couple months ago and said he was going to take a week of vacation. And so I said, that's good because I see you all the time. And you need a break. I actually think this past week might have been the first week all summer that their family was together all week. Uh, So their kids going to camp and other things has been kind of crazy. So it's a much needed break for him. Uh, But I love the opportunity to share God's word. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. A day where we can gather together under your grace and celebrate your love for us. We're here as broken people, not because of something we've done, but because of everything you've done. And so, Father, we thank you that we can come together to worship you. Father, we pray for our hearts and our minds, not only this morning as we study your word and as uh, we see about the things that you're doing in our church, in our own lives, uh, but we pray, pray for our own hearts as we uh, deal with the country at turmoil, whether we deal with the world at angst. Father, we constantly in this age see uh, the need for salvation throughout the world. And so, Father, as we go out, as we uh, interact, as we show your grace and patience to those around us, Father, give us a heart that's not about us, but it's about you. It's not about our desires or our will, but it's about you. And so, Father, with that being said, I ask that you speak through me this morning, uh, that this service be all about you as we learn God's word, as we uh, talk about things that you are doing, uh, let it be all about you. Uh, Father, we can pray these things. We can come here together. We can gather in your midst because of Jesus. And so, Father, in his holy name, we pray these things. Amen. Uh, This morning, I want to do two things. Uh, Most importantly, I do want to share God's word. And because as a pastor, anytime we get to share God's word, that's a fun thing. Uh, whether it's with someone we meet on the street, uh, I have the lucky opportunity that I can immediately say, I'm a pastor. Now that sometimes people run. Uh, I know that my wife has used it as people have knocked on her door to tell us about uh, their witness of Jehovah. And my wife's like, oh, would you like to talk to my husband? He's a pastor. Uh, and usually that involves them running away. Uh, but the reality is this. It, it, pastors get an opportunity to share, and we like to talk about God's Word because that's what's changed us. Uh, but before that, this morning, I want to share about our recent trip. Not this past week, but the week before. We had an opportunity to take 23 students uh, and seven leaders to Nashville, Tennessee. And I want to share about that not just so that you know what went on with the trip But I want to share my heart behind why we do things like that, why we take kids to serve, why we, even why we do fun things and go out and hang out. The reality is that as Jesus walked with his disciples, that's what they got to experience. 24-7, 365 for three years of Jesus. 
And so as a youth pastor in my heart, I want to spend as much time with the kids to support you as parents to say, hey, this is what life has looked like. And yeah, your parents were really hard about that because they are trying to teach you what God wants you to know. And so we go on trips like this because God has called our students to do certain things. Mitch, can you uh, throw up some pictures? I'm going to talk about Mission Nashville for a minute. I just want to kind of share with what you did. Now, you're not students, so I'm going to expect that you can watch some pictures slide behind me and listen to me at the same time. I know that our students can't handle that, uh, but as adults, uh, these are the 23 students that we took on our trip. Uh, there's going to be just scrolling pictures as we go by as I talk, and I just want you to kind of watch them and listen to me. Uh, it's a great opportunity to serve alongside of our students and see what they're doing and what God is doing in their lives. Uh, we left Monday morning, the 27th, and came back July 1st. So Monday through Friday, we got to spend all kinds of time uh, walking with Jesus together, uh, which is a really cool experience. So I just want to tell you a little about what we did while we were there. Uh, we left really early Monday morning, and we arrived ten and a half hours later, even though it's a seven to eight hour trip. Uh, due to being behind a wreck and trying to get 23 high school and junior high students in and out of the restroom on a timely fashion is just impossible. Uh, but, it's a, but it's a good experience. So we arrived uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night and Friday morning. We had the opportunity to worship together and hear God's word. Uh, and the cool thing about something like Mission Nashville is you get to see multi-denominations gather together to worship, uh, which gives us an opportunity to worship with people that might believe things a little different than we do, uh, which allowed opportunities for conversations about what God is doing and what His Word says and how we should interact uh, with God's Word and His people. Uh, and so it was a good time. So every night we got to have worship together. Uh, we got the opportunity uh, to sing song. And then after that, at night, the kids got to kind of explore campus. There was all kinds of fun things for them to do. Uh, but the cool thing about this trip is it gives our students the opportunity to see the various kinds of missions that are out there. Uh, mission trips that you go and just evangelize. Mission trips where you go and you work. Because God calls us all to do various things. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is when we kind of done the core of our serving uh, Tuesday morning, if you saw at the very beginning of those pictures, uh, we got to sit in what is called a poverty simulation. Uh, this is part of it right here. Jocelyn is doing something weird. Uh, but what this is designed to do, and I'm hoping to do this actually as a church at some point, if I can get all the material for it, uh, our students and our leaders would walk in. Uh, they would come in, and they would sit down at these chairs. There would be two to six chairs sitting in circles, and that would be the family you got to be part of. And so our students and our leaders got to do a little role playing. All right, so they would sit down and they would open these packets and they would be assigned to a family. Uh, and the family could be varying degrees. Uh, me and Tony were our own family. Uh, and what we did was we took on the role of people that were living in poverty-stricken situations and how they had to deal with life. So they gave us a month of time to uh, kind of pay the bills and feed our family. Uh, every 15 minutes was considered a week. And so you had all these stations around 
around the room, similar to a room like this, and you had to divide your time up wisely in order to pay your bills. And the challenge was oftentimes you had to sell stuff. Uh, there was stealing going on. Uh, in order for these people to survive, there were some hardships that took place. And it draws this really good picture. And I love the fact that we did this first because as we go out and to serve the community, the kids got an idea of some of the things they had to deal with. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, our guys and our girls split up. Uh, if you see the lack of guy pictures up there for this event, it's because I always forget to take pictures. Uh, and we didn't have our awesome ladies there to do it for me. Uh, the ladies went to what was called Soul for, Soul for Souls. Uh, they are an organization that uh, takes shoes and collects them and sends them to 12 different countries all over the world to provide uh, some sort of shoe, any type. If it has a soul, they want it, even if it's completely falling apart because they can use it to provide. And what they do is they take these shoes uh, and they get the opportunity to share the gospel. So our ladies got to go sort shoes and clean and sweep and fold boxes. Um, our, our guys, we went off to what is called Grace Works. Uh, Grace Works is very similar to what we have here in Helping Hands, uh, except on a large scale. It's in the suburb of Nashville, so you're talking uh, a much larger community that it's pulling from. Uh, Grace Works had three things going for them that was really cool. Uh, they did furniture and clothing. They sold that like Helping Hands do, does. Uh, and then they supply the community uh, with things they need. Uh, what they also had was they had a food pantry uh, that families could come in. And what families would do, they would actually sit down with counselors and they would talk through them and help them with budgeting and things like that and provide for them their actual needs. Uh, they've been working for somewhere between 15 to 20 years. I can't remember exactly what they said. But in their county, because they only serve their county, uh, in the last 20 years, they've given out $64 million to support their communities. So it's a really cool experience. Our, uh, our guys moved furniture, helped load vehicles. The best part about it was at one point we ran out of work to do, so they had to sort clothes. And the lady goes, I'm just going to warn you, we don't usually ask the guys to do this. And so she pulls out this bucket, and she's like, I want you to go through these shirts. And they're all women's shirts. And the guys are really confused by the numbers and the letters. And they would pull this up and they'd be like, how does this actually go? And I'd be like, well, I don't know either. Uh, but it was a fun experience to spend with our students. Uh, Wednesday, Wednesday we got to go to a place called Stonebrook Apartments. Uh, this apartment complex is a federally granted, uh, they do some support for these families that are refugees throughout the world of like Nepal and Burma. Uh, there's some African countries, some South American countries, uh, places that are war-torn. Uh, and they, all these families live together in this apartment complex, which is like hundreds and hundreds of people. And so there is a group that works there, and I cannot remember the name of the organization, but during the summer, uh, for any kid from birth to 18, uh, and during the school year for anyone uh, preschool and under, uh, they provide lunch for them. Uh, the government subsidizes that, so they provide lunch. And it's kind of a weird way they do it because our students could go and take the lunch because they were 18, and we did that so that we could give the lunch back to them because they were only allowed to give these kids 
this little meal. Uh, and so we would take more so they could have it. So if you see the pictures up here of our kids playing uh, with other kids. Uh, so in the morning, we help serve lunch and play with the kids and love on them and talk to them. Uh, in the afternoon, we kind of went off to another area of the compound and got to spend more time with the kids. A really fun experience is seeing our kids love on people that don't necessarily speak English uh, or don't speak it well. I know a lot of our guys played some soccer. Uh, a lot of our kids were jumped on and hung on and tackled, and I was for sure someone was going to get hurt. Uh, but it's a great opportunity to share God's love. Uh, I know that uh, Lindsay Murdian got to talk to a young girl in uh, Aramaic, which she kindly asked her to talk in English because she was way too fast for Lindsay. But uh, it's a great experience to see the gifting of our kids and how they were serving the community. Uh, on Thursday, uh, we got to do two other service projects. Uh, we went to Antioch High School. Uh, Antioch High School is just a suburb high school of Nashville. Uh, it will, like, 2,400 students. And what we did was we just went in and helped with their regular summer stuff, moving classrooms in and out so they could polish the floor, dealing with their locks so they could figure out uh, the passwords and all that to them. We got to clean. But one of the coolest things was one of our students, uh, they had um, summer school was going on, and one of our students ran into one of their students, and he said to him, I don't know why you guys are here or why you care so much about our school when we don't even care about it. Uh, so it's a cool experience of them getting to see the love of Christ in a servant way that maybe they just don't see. Uh, in the afternoon, uh, that evening, we went to a what is called an urban garden. Uh, what they have in Nashville and Chicago and big cities is termed uh, food deserts. Uh, and what, they build these urban gardens and they teach people about gardening with whatever plot of grass they can get a hold of. Uh, whether it's just the part between the sidewalk and the street or anything like that and how to garden and how to maintain it. Uh, this is a public garden. Uh, there, there is an organization that tends to it, and, but anyone from the public can come in and harvest vegetables or anything like that. And everything that they harvest, and we got to help harvest carrots and radishes uh, and work with some other stuff. Our kids made compost. Uh, just got to serve. And what food deserts are is I want you to think about this. I want to challenge your heart a little. Food deserts are, there are places in these uh, inner cities where they just don't have grocery stores. They're too far away. They can't travel to them. So what they have is gas stations. Uh, and I want you to, next time you go into Beck's or BP or any gas station in town, I want you to look at the food and think about not only its cost, but all the great, delicious, fresh food you see, which is none, or like black bananas. Uh, and that's what they have options of. So they have to take their money and go spend it on more expensive food in a gas station because they just can't get to where they need to go. So they're trying to teach people how to grow these gardens and how to do that. And so we got to go in and help garden and learn about this uh, and be part of They take all the, what they do and they give it to a uh, nearby food bank, which then they give it out to the community. And there's actually like tons of these around Nashville. Uh, and so our kids got to experience a lot of God's grace and see a lot of what God was doing there. It wasn't that we came and God was started to do stuff. It was that God was there working in these people, and we got to be part of it. 
And so as I process this, as Pastor Joe a few months ago asked me to teach, uh, I thought about what, what is the heart here? What do I want to share? And I wanted to share about Mission Nashville, uh, but I want to share why we do things like that. But first, before I jump into what God uh, has to do, I would like those of you that went on our trip, I know that there's some of you here, to stand up, please. Even the leaders, even if you don't want to stand up. Uh, these are some of our students and leaders that went with us. We had seven leaders, uh, two of which, three of which are not here. Uh, and, and these are the students and leaders that I got an opportunity to serve by and did some amazing work down there in Nashville. So uh, we can give them a hand. All right, you can be seated. I Thank you. Uh, all right, Mitch is going to turn that off. And I wanted to talk about what God calls us to do. Uh, and if you're sitting here today and you're like, Christians are always coming to talk to me about God, this is the reason why we do it. Uh, this is what God left us with. This is what Jesus commanded of his disciples. And we're going to we're going to talk a little about that this morning. I'm going to just share a little on the Great Commission. Uh, so if you want to turn to Matthew 28, 16 through 20 is what we're going to talk about this morning. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, when you hear Great Commission, those last two verses are what we think of. We think of those two verses, to go and make disciples of all nations. And I want to challenge you today because often when we hear that, I think our brain kind of switches off and we go, go make disciples, blah, 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 baptizing, something, something, something. I know I'm supposed to go. That's often what happens in our mind. We hear this idea of going and we go, all right, I'm supposed to go somewhere and do something. Uh, and, the, and what we hear here is something a little different. We see this dramatic change in the hearts of the disciples' lives. We see them change inwardly. We see their focus go upward. We see them call to the outward world. And we see their gratitude that Jesus came down for each of us. In the midst of changes wrought upon these men, we need to remember that we are called to the exact same thing. That this passage is not just for those 11 disciples and the others that were following Jesus. This is for us here and now. Our focus, whether inward, upward, outward, or downward, needs to be transformed, not just on a missions trip or during a church event, but this transformation should shake our core of our daily life. Now, this first transformation in the lives of the disciples was inward. See, I want you to imagine this trip that they're about to take from, Galilee, or from Jerusalem to Galilee. Prior to this trip, these men are sitting in their houses with the doors locked, cowering away. They've denied Christ. They're running. They're scared. They're hiding. They betrayed Jesus in his hour of great need. In verse 10 of this chapter, 
the resurrected Jesus meets, not with these men, but with the Marys, and he tells them this, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. These defeated and terrified men he calls brothers. As Jesus calls them, he doesn't point out their fear or trembling. He doesn't call out their cowardice. But he calls his brothers to gather together so he can share with them one final time. As he asks them to gather, he's already offered up forgiveness. He's restored them as his brothers. And even in their denial, he gathers them back to himself. They are the first recipients of his forgiveness. The prime people to be sent out and to share that forgiveness with others. The response to the offer is important. Again, they're in Jerusalem. Galilee is 100 miles away. And Jesus wants to meet them on some really tall mountain. They start on this walk to where Jesus has called them to. They were broken. There was only 11. See, Matthew makes a very key point here to distinctify that there are 11 disciples. Not 12. Not 12 like there have always been 12 tribes, but 11. A broken number. A broken group. We know that later in Acts, there will be 12 disciples again. One will be replaced. But why not here? Why not now? Why doesn't Jesus fix them here and now as He's going to meet with them? Why doesn't He make it perfect? And I think because of this, because of what Jesus did here was the perfect start to the church. The picture of who Jesus would call to go. He didn't call the perfect in the whole. He called 11 broken men whose heart wanted to follow Him. He called 11 broken men that were willing to travel 100 miles up and up a mountain to meet with Jesus. These men sat there and watched their leader die on a cross and be buried. And now he's standing 100 miles away in a mountain. These 11 broken men were willing. And that's what Jesus wanted. He wasn't looking for rock stars or perfect behavior. He wanted those who were willing to come. Come in their brokenness. And I have to imagine as they walk through, walk, take this journey to the mountain, as they're walking along, as their minds are preparing for this meeting, as they sort through their fears and their doubts, as we often sort through our fears and doubts, they're going to meet once again with Jesus on a mountain. I can only imagine the process as they think about all the times that they've met with Jesus on a mountain. Whether it was the beginning of Jesus' ministry or all the times they went away to pray or the Sermon on the Mount and how they should do life, they knew that something about this mountain experience would be life-changing. Can you imagine the trek, the hundred miles, up the mountain, the questions, the concerns, the what am I going to say to Jesus about how the fact I betrayed him? When I see Jesus, I'm going to say this. But instead, we see something different. As these 11 men and those following them walked up the mountain and they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. Their answer, their heart is changing inward. And instead of fearing or doubting or making excuses, they hit the floor, their face in the dirt, and they bow down to worship their risen Lord. The inward change that this forgiveness and grace had brought in them 
resulted in a complete shift in their focus. They weren't hiding in locked rooms anymore. They weren't running from fear of persecution. Their focus shifted from the inward transformation in their own lives to upwards in God's authority. See, in verse 17, when they bow down to worship, we see this focus shift to the upwards, to the worship of Jesus. They knew of Jesus' power. They'd seen it time and time again. They've seen what He can do long before His death. They've seen His miracles, the way He healed, how He restored, how He fed, how He calmed. They sat at His feet as the power of His teaching washed over them, how they'd never heard anything like this. They believed in that power. They followed Him. And then He died. Then there was doubt and there was concern and there was fear. And so when they get a chance to meet Him, when He calls them to Him, their reaction isn't that of running away. It's about bowing down and understanding the power He has. And in verse 18, we see where Jesus grabs this focus and He's going to shift it to something completely amazing. Jesus says of Himself, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to Me. That three-letter word, all, is crucial. The disciples knew He had power, but did they know He had all the power? All the authority. See, they were Jews, and they were sitting there listening to Jesus make this cosmically bold claim that I have all the authority that God has always had. That it's all mine. And I can think about Isaiah 42.8 as they're sitting there, and this had to have crossed their mind. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. See, we could sit here knowing as readers of both the New and Old Testament that God constantly pours out His honor and glory to Christ. But as these men have sat there and seen, and they've been concerned, and they've doubted, and they hesitated, and they locked themselves away because they were scared. And Jesus stands before them and said, hey, God has given me all power, all authority. As these Jews sit and listen to Christ, as I hear verse 18, which is one of the most essential truths in all of Matthew, all authority has been given to Christ. The King of the Jews, Lord of our life, Messiah, Redeemer, Healer. I could go on and on and on about who Jesus is, but right here, Christ lays it out for them. Right here, it's been laid out before them. All authority is Jesus. You've seen me die, you've seen me rise, and all that authority has been given to me from the Father in heaven. See, Jesus is claiming that He is as distinct from the Father, and yet He is also in charge of all of creation just as the Father is. The one who holds power over everything, even death, was standing before them. And now that they had been inwardly transformed, they had focused their eyes upward on Jesus' glory, he was ready for them to start moving outward. See, there was this inward change, and when their lives began to be focused on God, they were ready, and they were ready to go out. The disciples' outward movement centers around four simple verbs. Go, make, baptize, teach. Now the dominant verb, the one that all of the others rely on in this instance, is make or the idea of making disciples. Baptize and teach fall under this as neither can be accomplished until a disciple is made. But what about that first verb, that little go? Go implies action, movement. 
The very definition of go is to keep or be in motion. So how do we accomplish the first command by this all-powerful Jesus? This going is why we exist as a church. We are called here. We are called now. We are called to a world that is lost and hurting. We are called to our neighbors, our family, our friends, the random person we run into at the grocery store, or maybe even a people group all the way across the world. Wherever we are, we are, we are called and meant to be going. Now, on to that one verb that hinges, everything hinges on, make. We're making disciples in this case. To start with, what is a disciple? I think that's the key here. We have to know what a disciple is. And I think one thing that I need you to hear is that a disciple is not a convert. I want to make that very clear. The disciple is not a convert. This isn't about offering someone an easy out with no consequences or providing them with fire insurance. Making a disciple is about helping someone form a deep connection to the Savior, and in turn, they become more and more like Christ. Uh, When I was reading through commentaries and I was studying this passage of Scripture, I came across Pastor Douglas O'Donnell, and he said this about discipleship and about sharing the gospel. We are to make relationships with others to the extent that they, by God's grace, not ours, accept the message of the gospel and seek to grow in the knowledge of devotion to God. It wasn't just about sharing the gospel with them. It was about bringing them alongside and teaching them. This seeking and desire would lead to baptism and teaching. Now, baptism is simply, in the simplest form, an external expression or demonstration of an internal change, of what has taken place in our inward change because of Jesus. Past this point in Scripture in the New Testament, no one is ever converted and not baptized. It's a key distinction that Jesus makes. It's an important directive of the church. It is a natural outpouring after the change that Christ done in our life to get baptized. As far as teaching, though, I think teaching is a scary one for a lot of us. The idea that you are meant, you, and yes, I'm talking to you. This is what I do to our youth students. Like I point, but I like point over them and they all are like me. Uh, yeah, that, I'm pointing at all of you, just so we're aware. Uh, you are called to teach. You are called to teach God's word to others. And I know that could be a very daunting and scary thing. Maybe you're like, uh, there's no way that I'm standing in front of people and opening my mouth. Uh, And that's not what it's talking about. It's not saying that every person that comes to know the Lord and is going out to make disciples has to stand up and teach large crowds. We're not all called to do that. I'm not called to do that. I don't know why God asked me to do it. Uh, But the reality is this. You can teach. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's a peer. Maybe it's someone you mentor. Maybe... You as a husband are teaching a new couple, a new husband. Uh, Maybe you as a long-term father are teaching another new father. The teaching can go on and on, but it's about teaching who God is. It can be hard. Living according to the Bible is not easy, and it's definitely not popular. So how many of you switched off and got uncomfortable after we moved past inward change and the upward focus, and we got to the moving outward. 
See, I think that's the easy part. God changed us. That's awesome. God's awesome. I'm excited. I want to worship God. I want to come to church. I want to sing songs. And then it's like, hey, you need to go. And we're like, whoa, I didn't sign up for that. Uh, Our church is a really awesome church that does a lot of awesome things to go. And it's not just mission trips or supporting missionaries around the world. It's adopting a block or evangelism explosion. Or it's teaching a Sunday school class or a children's church. That's all part of the going. But the reality is that we have to step outside of these walls too. It's scary. It's scary to think about being involved in sharing your faith and teaching a friend, a family member, or a stranger. To teach them about what Christ has done in your life and the joy of being His disciple. Overwhelming and completely untainable. That's what it feels like at times. But Christ knew that. See, here's the cool thing. He, he calls the disciples and He forgives them and He tells them to go on this journey to come meet with Him and He tells them that He has all authority in heaven and He's going to send them out into the world and they're like, oh no. But that's not the reaction and the reason why is because of the end of verse 20. Christ encourages outward movement by bringing down the most incredible gift He can. Himself. Jesus is our downward movement here. And he says this, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, he asked a lot of his disciples, it's true. He asked a lot of his church, it's true. And the reality is this, that at the end of the day, he stands with us. He promised that until the end of the age, he would be there. As we sit before our Savior, our hearts transform, our eyes focused on him, our ears hearing him call us to a seemingly impossible task. We are given the gift of His divine presence. He walks with us. He upholds us. He carries the burden right alongside of us. As we survey the world He is calling to, we see brokenness in a terrible way. Uh, You can turn on the news. You can scroll through Facebook. Whatever it is, you see we see brokenness in our world. Our world is divided by race, by gender, by religion. Each division with it brings hatred, rage, and even murder. And Christ is calling us to that. To leave the comfort of this church, these church walls, and go immerse ourselves in their brokenness. And as we do, as we face the horrors and hurts, He reminds us clearly, He is always with us, with all His forgiveness, power, grace, and peace. He walks alongside of us. So which area of your life needs to be addressed today? Have you forgotten about the forgiveness that Christ offers how he extended grace and completely transformed us inside? Or have you taken your eyes from the authority he holds and worshiped other things? Maybe God has been tugging on your heart that you need to get moving outward and there are some phone calls or conversations that you need to have. Or in the midst of the heartache we saw this week, did you lose sight of this most important fact that Jesus is here and he's with us until the end of the age? Let's pray.